Welcome to the Time for the Good News podcast, the place where you'll hear nothing but good news. We are your hosts, Susan and Dan Grandfield. Welcome to episode seven, and apologies we haven't been with you for a while. We've travelled across Europe by train to the fine city of Bologna, otherwise known as La Rossa, La Grassa, or La Dotta, so the red, the fat, and the learned, interestingly. Mm. Do you know, that just made me think, are you describing yourself? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> apologies. That's, well, slightly Shall I edit that rude, out? <laughs> But look, we're not even a minute into the first this episode, and you're already giving people useless, useful, useful, useless. Oops, Freudian slip, uh, useful tidbits of information. Yes, here we are in Italy, um, and we have yeah, we've spent a bit of time scouring beyond just the confines of Italy to find um, great good news stories to to share with you. We've had our own adventure along the way, haven't we? As you said, we've travelled by train. We certainly have. Where have we been? Yeah. Dijon. Yeah. Chambray, Paris, Turin, Turin, yeah, uh, Le Bain. Yes, yeah, yeah. various places. Yeah, yeah. and we travelled almost exclusively by train. A couple of buses, yeah, and a, oh, I think one taxi so far, but but pretty much all by train. That's which, it. yeah, uh, it's been great fun. Ooh. But let's get on with the episode, shall we? Okay. Um, we've got five really brilliant and, as usual, very diverse good news stories to share with you. Um, so I'm going to give you the headlines so you know what's coming up. For, the first story is going to be about a plastic alternative that feeds the ocean. Then we've got a story about a business owner putting purpose before profit. We've got, this has been my, this is my title for, for um, one of the stories I'm going to share, Turning a Crisis into a Drama. Mm. We'll see more about that. Um, we've got a story about YouTube raising big money and a rare mammal spotted in London. Mm. Okay, so mm. that's what's coming up. That's it. Sounds good. Right, I'll kick off. So my first story is um, about a small craft brewery which uh, based in Florida, which was set up not only to produce great quality beer with natural ingredients, but also to help repair the damage being done to the oceans. So wow. it's not it's not a, a business that was set up to create beer and then they've gone, oh, maybe we'll do this. The, yeah. the whole purpose was we're going to create this product that people want, but we're, we're proactively going to help to repair the damage done to the oceans. So it's called the Saltwater Brewery. Um, and it's been around for a while now, um, I think 2016, yeah, 2016. Um, but I, I came across this little video clip, which I'll put onto our, our website and our Facebook page so that you can have a look at it. Basically, what they've done is they have created a six pack ring that feeds animals in the ocean instead of killing them. So if you think about a six pack of beer cans, yeah. you've got that plas- the plastic ring things, yeah. which just a nightmare when they go in the ocean. Yeah. Um, I think I've seen pictures of animals of those wrapped around the necks. Exactly. And, yeah. and it's just horrible. It's, it's awful. And even when people cut them up and think, oh, well, I'm making it smaller, so that's better, the animals still eat it. Hmm. So the Saltwater Brewery, um, have created this edible six-pack ring. Um, now, just skipping back a little bit, some research has said uh, has found that ninety percent of seabirds have eaten plastic. Wow, ninety percent. Wow. I think it's regularly found in their in their in their feces, isn't it? It's exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. So, so Saltwater Brewery they have produced this one hundred percent biodegradable and edible um, six-pack mm. ring. It's made from the barley and wheat ribbons 
uh, which are um, byproducts of the brewing process. So they're actually using what is a byproduct of you know the product yeah. that they're producing. Um, so the, the packaging degrades within two hours of being in the ocean and two to three months, in two to three months, it completely disappears. That's whether it's in the ocean or if it's um, composting on the, the beach. Mm. So it's still, you know, you could say still quite a long time. Mm. But the point is that if the animals, the mammals, you know, sea turtles or whatever, eat it, ingest it, it, it doesn't harm them. Yeah. It's completely edible um, to them, um, which I just thought was amazing. It is. It is amazing. I mean, it's slightly alarming, isn't it, that we're making things that we know they're going to end up in the sea. So we're making them edible or compostable. Um, but mm. it's a good it's a it's a step forward. And if it does, your waste isn't dealt with properly. Yeah. Then it, it will biodegrade. Yeah. So, so you're talking about that actually yeah. what, what's the problem here? Yeah. But yeah. also if it goes into landfill. As well, it will compost exactly. the sounds of it as exactly. well. So it's kind of a win-win, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And, and apparently Ma- Americans drink 6.3 million gallons of beer every year. 50% Each. of those in cans. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Right. 50% of that 6.3 million gallons is in cans. So a lot yeah. of these yeah. plastic rings. I went on to look at um, edible packaging. Mm. So the global edible packaging market is va- was valued in 2016 at, nine, at $697 million. Mm. It's projected that by 2024, it'll be worth $2 billion. Wow. Okay. So it's That's big fun. business. Yeah. Now, when you start to look at what is edible packaging, <laughs> have you ever had an ice cream cone? Oh, yeah. Edible yeah, packaging. Yeah, um, rice paper. Do you remember that stuff when we were kids? Yes. You used to, yeah. Just eat yeah. rice paper. Lots of stuff made of rice paper. But there's a huge amount of seaweed, something called casein, which is a milk protein, yeah. very similar to plastic, um, gelatin, coffee cups made from cookies, potato fibres. There's lots and lots um, of innovation going on mm. um, around edible packaging. Now, the downside is with edible packaging, some of the obvious things you think about susceptible to temperature changes, um, some issues around hygiene or concerns yes. around hygiene, yep. consumer trust and all yeah, that bacteria sort of thing. Bacteria and things like that. Yeah. yeah. Bacteria. But, um, but, and I didn't know this, the London Marathon used um, something called Ulio, which are little capsules made from seaweed. Um, it's a London-based startup. So little, um, I think they were blue capsules that have water, but obviously, mm. you know, water with nutrients in it, that you, you can eat the entire thing. Amazing. So instead of water bottles being chucked on mm. the ground, as you see in mm. you know, these big races. So Brilliant. there you go. Fantastic. Edible packaging and, um, yeah, helping to feed right. the ocean rather than destroy it. Well, my next story is about oceans and plastic. Nicely done. Nicely done. Without, us knowing Without even what, knowing. Yeah. So I don't know if you've heard of this. Hashtag Team Seas. Nope. So YouTube has raised $30 million to remove 30 million pounds of plastic waste from the ocean. Right. So for our metric folk and friends out there, uh, an American pound is about 450 grams. Mm-hmm. So they're talking about kind of 15 million uh, kilos, aren't they, of plastic waste. So this started back in 2021. Uh, but this is a kind of progress update. So Mr. Beast... Uh, and Mark Rober, who are YouTubers. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what Mr. Beast does, but I'm interested to find out. Mm-hmm. Uh, they ask content creators from all over YouTube to use their influence to raise awareness about the current state of the oceans. So their goal is to raise 
uh, $30 million to take out the equivalent in pounds of trash mm. from the ocean um, with the support of the entire digital platform that is YouTube. So they launched a campaign, as it was estimated, there are about 200 million uh, tons of plastic waste already circulating in the world's oceans. Uh, and they think it's potentially 11 million tons a year is going, going into mm. the ocean. Yeah, so it's horrendous when mm-hmm. you think about it, isn't it? And as you mentioned, you know, the problems that causes wildlife and environmental degradation are, you know, horrendous. Now, YouTube, these guys, YouTube's been used before for what was called Team Trees. I didn't know this either. Oh. So that raised $20 million before 2020 to plant 20 million trees. Ah, okay. Uh, in partnerships with the Arbor um, Foundation. And they raised $23 million and earned 1 billion views across all mm. YouTube's videos. So I kind of like this story because, again, you know, much maligned social media. I know people are worried about the amount of time kids are spending on YouTube these days and things like that. But some of this content is pretty amazing stuff. And they raise this money by getting content creators to make videos about the oceans. Right, okay, yeah. So it wasn't, you know, it was a relevant campaign as well as, it wasn't just raising money mm-hmm, mm-hmm. off the back of anything. Yeah. They actually produced lots of videos. So Mr Beast, mm-hmm. let's call him a digital boffin, and Mark Rober um, spent months working with environmental non-profits so they can guarantee that each dollar equals one pound of waste removed. Right. So obviously you can make all the claims in the world. Yeah. But they've worked with various environmental companies to actually prove that that's where the money's going. Oh, right. Okay. I mean. Yeah, yeah. So they partnered with the Ocean Conservancy to organise um, beach cleanups as well. And it's a three-pronged thing. So it's beach, ocean, river. Right. Because as we know, it's the rivers that are feeding plastic yeah. into the ocean. Mm. Um, and they've got all sorts of trash collecting tech that's been used with a lot of success in places like the Dominican Republic and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, a hundred percent of the money goes to non-profits as well. There's no p- taking a percentage or by YouTube or anything right. like that. But I'm presuming the benefit for the YouTuber is views. Yes. So yeah. they do, which fair enough for all the work yeah. that they're doing. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to begrudge them a few a few mm. million views or whatever. So they ask creators to upload their own videos about cleaning up the ocean. They then ask subscribers, influencers um, to get the videos trending. Mm-hmm. And YouTube itself supported them in curating and elevating creators. So I think YouTube can obviously mm, yeah. maybe do something with the algorithm to, to push these things up, up the charts, mm-hmm. if they call it the charts. <laughs> I don't know what it is. So on December the 31st, 2021, they had raised $25.6 million. By January the 1st, 2022, they had the $30 million. Mm-hmm. You know, they had a one-off donation. An anonymous donor gave them $2 million. Wow. And then some American billionaire called Austin something gave them another $4 million. Mm-hmm. Um, but the most common donation size was $5. I like that. Ah, okay. So it was, yeah. you know, the power of the small yeah. donations. And if you imagine people using YouTube, mm-hmm. a lot of young people, things like that. So a huge amount of small donations mm-hmm. led to mm-hmm. them getting to this point. Now, you said, you know, it's, they achieved that. It's back in January, but I just thought it was a great story. I've not heard of it. Yeah. I've not heard of Team Trees. Um, there were 10,000 videos created, which had 850,000 views. 
Hmm? So it gives you an idea of the scale of it. Oh, yeah. But great stuff from Mr. Beast. Mr. Beast. Yeah. Uh, and Mark Rober. Uh-huh. You know? yeah. So well done to them and well done to all of YouTube yeah. for, for contributing towards a clean-up of the ocean. And that's the thing, isn't it? So so often with these stories that we share, particularly around the environment, it, it is the power of the collective. It's people yeah. coming together. Yeah. And and then I love that 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 business can be a force for good. Yeah. Um. You know, social media, lots of you know, uh, perspectives on the damage yeah. it does. But there is YouTube doing something good yeah, and, yeah. and yeah. being a, a way, a mechanism for people to come together and to share. Yeah, and actually, I think YouTube is a huge resource as well. It's got mm. all sorts of. Oh yeah. It, yeah, yeah. It's pretty yeah. fantastic. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And I, I don't. You know, the more. You know, baby boomers, boomers, and Generation X think, oh, yeah, I think it's an excellent tool. Mm. Uh, you know, yeah. to to communicate with young people. Yeah, absolutely. Well, kind of linked to that, I'm going to go into the business story now that I was going to share, or that I am sharing. Um, some people may have heard this, um, depends what newspapers you read, but it but it was in the main um, main press, and um, that Patagonia, the outdoor clothing yes. company, um. Has so the founder Yvonne Schoenard has put the entire company into a, a trust designed to divert all companies' profits into supporting efforts to respond to the climate crisis. Good stuff. So he's not sold the company as such. Yeah. He's not gone public with the company. Yeah. Um, he's done it this way um, so that the the company in terms of its the control of it and and the direction of it is still very much within the family's control it was a business that he set up yeah, yeah. very much based on his values so it's been based on a sustainable uh, exactly platform, exactly and so um so he said he wanted to be able to stay true to the values um but he wanted all profits to be you know mm. diverted into to helping the climate crisis so he says as of now earth is our only shareholder which is quite Ooh. a bold statement, um, yeah. uh, uh, but but you know amazing, um, and he says we're we're um, yeah we're going purpose instead of going public. He was quoted as saying we're going purpose. Yeah. So um, yeah. So I mean, Patagonia is well known for its environmental credentials in terms of it, the products it makes, how it makes it. If you know, if you have a Patagonia pair of walking trousers or a jacket and you, it gets damaged um send it back to them they'll repair it repair for you for free it, yeah, yeah. um yeah. amazing they recycle you know you send your old stuff yeah. back they've also been very good at looking after the well-being of their staff perhaps you might expect that um you know giving them what's called good surf days mm. so when you're in part of the world where there's good surfing you can take the day Surf's off up, dude Exactly. You know, a bit like I think Google and, and companies like that have given people days where they can they just take a day off and you go and do something like creative. Sabbaticals. Yeah, yes. yeah. But it seems like they're going a step further than that, um, you know, really sort of putting their money where their mouth is. Um, and they've been, you know, since the 1980s, they've been putting 1% of sales into environmental causes. Yeah. You know, so they've been doing it for a long time. One of the earliest companies to become a B Corp. Oh yeah, B Corp, but great stuff. Yeah. yeah, a lot of the outdoor companies are. Yeah. Yes, Outkit in the UK is a B Which makes sense, doesn't yeah, it? it does, yeah. yeah. Now, when I looked at this, there there will be obvious critics. There, there always is. Yeah. You know, whenever something good happens, there's always going to be the people that will look for the Which negative. Is why we do good news. Exactly. So I looked into, it and critics have picked up on the tax implications of <laughs> this, um, and seeing that you know he's saving himself hundreds of millions of pounds in tax mm. by not selling it. And by keeping it in the family, and also the family avoid the taxes, you know, inheritance tax or gift tax, all these kind of things. So there's a whole question about how this is 
in quotes, getting around some of the US tax system. But meanwhile, millions of dollars is going to the good cause. And that's the point. So when you then read on through it yeah. um, and, and you know listen to other people's perspectives and spokespeople of the company saying that, OK, that might be the case. That's not the driver for this. No, no, it's not no, about no. saving money in taxes. It's about where does the money go to, yeah, the money absolutely. that they're making. Yeah. So, you Look, know, I think critics, critics can criticise people all they like, but the point is the company has not been sold for billions of pounds worth of profit. Profit, exactly. So important to a trust to generate income for charities yeah. with a sustainable environmental base. Exactly. Now, even if the family does make money out of it in the future, they've built that business yeah. up. He's built that business up from scratch. Yeah. So, and they, they employ, I'm presuming, thousands of people worldwide. Exactly, yeah. And also, because of the nature of the way they buy things, there will be a lot of small producers of materials and mm. textiles, things like that, throughout the world that will benefit from yeah. the Patagonia business as well. Yeah. So, you know, and I bet some of the critics probably work for Morgan Stanley or yeah. JP Morgan. Exactly. Can just quite I know. frankly keep the mouth shut. I know. You know what I mean? so. So, yeah, I wanted to just acknowledge that there there is that perspective, yeah. Yeah. but that is doesn't appear to be the driver. And if you look at the history of the company and what yeah. it's done and why it's done what it's done, this is about not just that dodging tax. No. This is about no. a much bigger... The fact that it's already a sustainable company has already been on a, a yeah. great environmental record, yeah. it, it, you know, puts that kind of to bed anyway, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. So, yeah. Mm. Okay. Right, so, you. as you know, I like my little furry friends, so <laughs> this time it's Pine Martins, oh, beloved uh, small, that, um, you know, until recently I thought were just in Scotland, but they are in Wales. Okay. They've been reintroduced into Wales and England. Right. But this story is a slightly kind of charming one, so uh, Pine Martins were last seen down in London in the 19th century, so there did used to be thousands of them. Um, all over the UK, but now, as we know, they're very small populations. I think the the biggest population in Scotland is about four thousand mm. um, of, of pine martins. So, they uh, these elusive animals were reintroduced into England three years ago, mm. with about fifty one animals re- um, released into the forest of Dean. Uh-huh. Um, but one has been spotted by a hidden wildlife camera in Kingston upon Thames, mm. in London. Okay. Interestingly. So, sorry, there was only 18 introduced into Forest of Dean. It was 50 introduced into Wales. So there's only 18 pine martins introduced ah, into right. England. But one has been seen mm-hmm. in, um, in Kingston of London Thames. And I said to myself, how did it get there? Did it mm-hmm. perhaps get the megabus from Glasgow <laughs> down to London or, or whatever? But no, it's probably a developed population that's arrived on the edge of London. Uh-huh. So Hogwatch which I didn't know they existed, <laughs> a charity that monitors hedgehogs and mm-hmm. foxes uh, in the capital. It was picked up on one of their wildlife cameras. Mm. Uh, and there's quite a, there's a nice image in the article of this, and it's quite most definitely a pine martin, you know, a brown creature with a mm. white chest, and they're, uh, they're quite cute, actually. Uh, again, Dr Chris Carbone, a senior research fellow at the Zoological Society's London's Institute of Zoology. It's obviously a a wildlife boffin. Um, he says they're going to continue to monitor these cameras to see how many individuals there are. Because you don't just get one. Mm-hmm. They're normally in breeding pairs or, or things like that, aren't they? So mm-hmm. it'd be interesting to see how many there are. Now, when we lived down in London, we saw the green parrots, didn't we? They were mm-hmm. everywhere. Yeah. Which, but they were escaped. They weren't natural species. Um, so pine martins are generalist omnivores. and eat small mammals and birds, fungi, fruit and berries, 
and play an important role in seed dispersal. Mm. You know, the world is a system. Mm-hmm. So I think seeds are dispersed through their scat. Yeah. Um, we have uh, talked about them in the past because they eat grey squirrels. Uh, and the reds have naturally involved them, so they, they find it quite easy to evade them. So I just thought I'd you know, give the old pine marten fact. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to locate them, the best way to see if they're in the area is to sniff poo. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm going to take up. I'll delegate that responsibility uh, to you. If it smells of parma violets, Ooh. then it's pine martens are in the area. Parma violets? Yeah, and in this advice that I was looking at, if it smells really bad, then it's a fox or a cat. <laughs> but... But if it smells of palm of violets, it's a pine martin. How bizarre. I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm not sure if I'm going to get down on my hands and knees. No, and, you know, oh, because fox poo really does smell. And they're also bottom wigglers. I've never heard this term before as well. So I think when they're going to the toilet, they wiggle, they wiggle their bottom. So their, their scat tends to be wiggly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love, so love that. So pine martins are already endearing themselves yeah, greatly, yeah, yeah. you know, so... Um, if you get a chance to look them up, uh, listeners, have a look, because they are, they're quite cute creatures. Yeah, yeah. Very, very difficult to spot. And there's people that have studied them that have very rarely seen them. Yeah. Um, uh, but there are people out there who see them all the time because they live uh-huh. where, where they yeah. live. And I think they like peanut butter. That's one thing that people use oh, right, to okay. put it on their windowsill or something. Yeah. And the pine martins will appear. But um, they're also Britain's biggest tree-dwelling mammal. That's a pine martin fact. There you go, there you go. Yeah. Ah, That's a pub quiz question. It is, isn't it? What is Britain's biggest tree-dwelling mammal? You'll go, most people probably say squirrel. Squirrel, yeah. Yeah, but no, pine martin. Excellent, good. (laughs) Images of people all over the country sniffing 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 poo. poo. Right. Brilliant. Okay, well, as a a bit of a change in in gear now. Um, So my final story is the one that I I term turning a crisis into a drama. Um, This is... Yeah, I love this. <clears throat> I, I love drama. I love dance. I love stage shows. I love, so I was kind of drawn to this um, this charity, London-based charity called The Big House, um, which helps care leavers at risk um, by introducing them to drama. Care leavers? So children who are leaving care. Oh, young okay. adults yeah, who are cool. leaving okay, care. Yeah, yeah. And it's their, it's bit the big house's tenth birthday this year, which is um kind of I guess why it kind of came to my it came into my awareness. So people who have been in care are um hugely overrepresented in the homeless and prison populations. Yeah, yeah maybe yeah, not yeah. surprising, it's but, sad, but huge. Yeah, and so big the big house founder um, Maggie Norris, um when she when she came across this and she's worked with these populations for many years. She had the belief that I think probably many of us do that it doesn't have to be inevitable. Mm. You know, it almost feels like it's an inevitability. If you've been in care, this is you what your life you're is gonna, gonna look issues, like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And she's like, No, it doesn't have to be that that way. So the the model for this charity is very simple. They put on professional shows, um, completely cast by care leavers. Oh, so um, for, for her, for Maggie Norris, the main goal is to provide pastoral care for young people um, and to offer them discipline and nurture yeah, through yeah. putting these shows on. Yeah. So they learn they learn a lot of life skills. You know, they, yeah. they learn about, um, you know, how to m- master something, how to really focus on something, how to master it. Discipline's involved in learning. Exactly. Yeah. Building their self-esteem, mastery and, sorry, and, and, and control their emotional well-being. 
Um, you know, it, it's it's just fantastic when you think about it. And also it provides a channel for them to to channel all the emotions and, yeah. and trauma that they probably experienced. And there was one girl, a 22-year-old, who um, starred in a Netflix series called Top Boy. And she's now in a BBC comedy called A Pupil Referral. Top um, Boy, yeah, that's about London gangs. Yeah, yeah, yeah the pupil referral unit is, is the new thing. What she said was that for 90 minutes, everything that goes on outside this building goes away. I have a release. Mm. So by doing stage shows, for that the time that the show was on, she could kind of just park all that other stuff and just really be in you know be in the zone I guess, um, so yeah so they so they put these these shows on, um they often use the the members as in the the, the young adults that are leaving care they call them members, um their stories they help them to they facilitate dealing with their own trauma mm. and they put on these uh, amazing shows and there's you know people going on to star in Netflix and BBC comedies great stuff. So I really, yeah, I really loved that. So the big house, based in in London, but they're looking to create more regional um, mm. hubs as well. Yeah, that's brilliant. That's, yeah. That's a good, uh, yeah. Especially with all the you know different platforms these days for, to create content stuff mm-hmm. like that. You know, you can see how it could lead on to. It's just it's that sense of hope, isn't it? It's that sense yeah. of of getting beyond the 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 sort of the, the situations people find themselves in and seeing there's something within everyone yeah. that if it's nurtured in the right way can produce amazing stuff. But it's also it's got all those things that you're going to encounter in, in society, like working as a team, you know, all that experience yeah. of working on a project, which is what a show is. Exactly. You're in a team, you've got deadlines, you need to work to a certain standard, mm. as well as networking with the people that you're mm-hmm. performing, working with. Yeah. And all that sort of thing. So and being able to channel all these emotions. Yes. Yeah. Which yeah, which yeah. are there and need to be addressed. So I, I just thought it was great. And uh, people like Maggie Norris, who 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 see the need and create things like this, are, I, f- mm. I find so inspiring. Mm. So um, it's amazing that again that we have to look for these things. We have to look quite hard for these yeah. things sometimes. So yeah. it's interesting. But they are there. Yeah. So they are that's there. Yeah, what absolutely. we want to remind you of, listeners. We have been away for a while, but we're back now. Mm. And the the good news is out there. There's a lot of really not good news in the world um, mm. right now but there is a lot of amazing stuff happening so we hope you've enjoyed this episode as ever um, please share with as many people as you can we've got our Facebook page Susan and Dan's podcast we've got our website timeforthegoodnews.co.uk so please share um, and get in touch with your own good news stories because we want to hear what's going on in your part of the world. That's it. And uh, hello to Belgium. Well, it seems we have a lot of Belgian We seem to have a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's really interesting so. to look at where we get new listeners from and where yeah, we get a lot of yeah. listeners from. So yes. Um, yeah. So we'll have a look for some Belgian stories. We will. Or maybe our Belgian listeners can send us some stories. That's it. Absolutely. Right. That's all for us from us now. We'll see you on the next episode. Bye for now.